Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we could start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like, so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test. And then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me. Cause I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like is it gonna come into my life do I what am I gonna do about this to being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was gonna flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was gonna come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy so i'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes would love to connect with you on instagram my instagram's the shit show my 20s dm me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it and you can also leave a review on itunes i would love that today's guest is biete i loved chime with her biete is the growth architect and founder of The Woman's Code, a first-generation immigrant who found herself $135,000 in debt. As a single parent, she bootstrapped her passion for photography into a highly successful global business and eventually sold it to Bill Gates in a multi-million dollar deal. She's amongst the top 100 global thought leaders by People Hume and one of the 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs by HuffPost. As a strategic advisor to organizations from startups to Fortune 100 global brands, she helps her... She helps organizations to grow through her five-star blueprint methodology. Clients call Biette for leadership, personal development, team building, and executive coaching. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from being $135,000 in debt and how she was not able, how she was able to let that not discourage her from where she knew she could go. We go into selling her business to Bill Gates and what that was like, what inspired her to start that business. We talk about leaving her job from Elle magazine and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Biate, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> Sophia, thank you for having me. Well, I think my 20s were a nonstop shit show, basically. I think the 20s for me were all about this 
angst moment of who am I? Where do I fit in? Will anything ever become of me? Will I find my spot? Will I find someone to love me? Will I have my family? Where will I land? And originally being from Germany, I had a very quickly achieved, you know, a certain level of success. I'm 23 years old. I'm the photo editor at Elle magazine in Germany in everybody's book, a pretty good job. And then I realized that I really wasn't enjoying this as much as I should have. I mean, the work was great itself, but I didn't enjoy the people. And uh, I found that especially at that age, right? So, so I'm in my 20s, other people are sort of in their 30s, that there is a lot of friction between women in these kinds of places. And I just didn't like it. And so I left Germany and went to find adventure abroad in the United States for for the one year. And I never left because I felt for me, it was all about the not fitting in or feeling like I really didn't fit in. And so I needed to find a place where I felt I fit in. And then when you come to Los Angeles and you realize it's a city of misfits where nobody fits in and somehow it magically all fits together. And now you perfectly where you need to be in you know, it's just this puddle of oddities. And that is for the first time when I really felt like I, I, I belonged somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if you had to narrow down your 20s to one shit show moment that was the most life-changing for your 20s for that decade, which most, moment would it be? The, 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 the biggest moment really was my, my dad was the CEO of a, a dairy company. And my dad was an extrovert and, you know, charming, but pushy, just like me. And so my dad was fired overnight. And the board of directors fired him. And they didn't even think that they were going to have the majority to fire him. And then afterward, the company was in big trouble because they had no successor plan. And I looked at my dad and I said, oh, shit, I'm going down the exact same road that my dad is that everything I do is determined by my job, that it's all about how other people perceive me because of what I can do for them. And when you're the photo editor at Elle magazine, you know, you can do a lot of favors for a lot of people and give them opportunities. So people are very nice to you, but they're not nice to you, Sophia, because they like you. They're nice to you because of your job. And so I had this, you know, this oh shit moment where I'm like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, I'm just like that. So I take all my self-esteem, all my backbone out of my job and who I am is determined by that. And that's when I said, I, I, I can't do that. I need to figure out who I am and have people like and appreciate me for who I am, not for who I work for. Mm-hmm. That was probably the biggest defining, defining moment. You know, and I come from, a very a difficult upbringing. I mean, my mother is is mentally unstable, and um, we did not get along. I barely physically survived my childhood, and so here you are with terrible self esteem. You finally found a job where you are someone, and then you realize that that's the wrong way to go. So what do you do now? Mm-hmm. And did that happen around the time that you left that job or did that happen afterwards or how was like the timing of those two things? It was like, it it, it was like this big blow up moment where I literally said, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I need to get away as far as I can from my mother. I need to get as far away from, from the constraints of what I've started to build the, the typical middle class, you know, but a better middle class because it was in a fun job. And, and, and really, really see how far I can push the envelope. I mean, that was my thinking. I had no idea where this was going to go. I was, had no idea if I was going to survive. I had no idea where I was going to end up. I just knew I needed to get out. And do you think you would have been able to leave that job if that whole circumstance didn't happen? Or do you think you needed that whole circumstance? I definitely you? needed that. And, and that's really something, uh, Sophia, that I think that I want to share with your listeners a little bit is that we often judge what's happening to us as an obstacle or as a failure, but really what it is, it's a, it's a marker in the road, a sign that just says, not this way, this is not your way. You need to go another way. And you kind of know it's coming and you kind of feel it, 
but you don't really pay attention to it until it's screaming in your face. And then when it's screaming in your face, right? Then you go, oh shit, I better be paying attention to it. But at that time, you're already in the middle of the explosion and, and it's all in bits and pieces. And then you think, well, if I would have listened to this a little bit sooner, maybe it would have been a smoother transition. But because you choose to not listen to it, you choose to pretend everything was okay it goes to the point of full-blown meltdown. I love how you compare it to explosion because it always feels like that. But do you think we can actually stop it before the explosion? Or do you think we need to be in the middle of the explosion for us to really get the message? I think that depends on on, on your personality type, really. I, I, some people, I mean, if we look at the psychology of change, right? So now that I have a, a daughter who's in her 20s and I see her in her shit show of her 20s of asking herself, the same questions. Who am I? What am I going to do? Will I ever make a living? You know, she just got engaged. So she, she has found the person to love her. And I look at that and I'm going like, it just never really ends, but it is without the pressure of you having to actually make a change. Why would you change? So if everything is hunky dory and you can survive, why would you change? So, so the way I describe it is, is that you have a, a USB port, that's inserted at the back of your neck. And that runs a program. This is the program that your parents, your family, your teachers, the, you know, your environment created where you had no influence over. This is the difference between your parents telling you, you got to watch out, you know, danger, danger, or your parents that said, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. So this program runs all the time. And so now you are going out in the world and you realize for the first time, this program is really limited. And so you take another USB port of something you heard, you've seen, you read, and you plug it in on the other side and you want to overwrite this old programming, but there's this perpetual conflict. And so to answer your question, if you don't consciously keep running this new program to overwrite the old one, there has to be an explosion because the system has to break down. So there's, I always say there's a breakdown, the breakthrough and the breakout, and it comes in that order. First has to be the breakdown to get to the breakthrough, then you have the breakout. But when you're in it, it doesn't feel like that. So in the ideal scenario, if you have the awareness, which is hard to have when you're in your twenties, because you just don't have the life experience of all the shit that can go wrong. So my bucket of shit that can go wrong is extensive. I mean, so much went wrong in my life, lawsuit, fire floods, riots, earthquake, a tsunami, September 11th, I've been wiped out seven times. So when the eighth one comes around, you just go, ah, oh, it's just a pandemic because you've had so much of this other shit that already went wrong. But when it's the first time you go, well, what, what, what do I do? Because you don't have that experience that sits there. So what I have learned is that if you hear the voice and you don't act, there will be an explosion and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be painful. If you hear the voice and you start trusting that that intuition in a voice, God, spirit, the universe, whatever you want to call it, is here to deliver the life you really deserve to live, then you have to just muster up more courage and that combats the fear. If you don't have the courage to combat the fear, there will be an explosion. Because then the pain of staying has to be greater than the fear of changing. And that's a compound effect. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were leaving that job and you didn't necessarily have a plan for what your life was going to look like, was there anything that helped you stay grounded during that moment? Was there anything you were doing to like, not kind of, you know, overthink or think maybe this is a bad decision or what'd you kind of do? What was your thought process during that time? It is impossible to not think that this was a horrible decision. I remember sitting on the plane flying, you know, I'm 23. I'm flying from Germany to uh, to Miami. And I'm sitting next to a guy, I swear, who had full body eczema. And the entire flight, he kept scratching himself from head to toe everywhere. And I remember sitting there. And I, uh, and I had gotten whatever the flu or a cold. So I'm, I'm like deathly ill in the plane. And here's this guy's just like constantly like, you know, it, it was probably the worst flight of my life. And I'm thinking to myself, what the are you thinking, you know, to leave such a job and to do something crazy like this? 
So what kept me grounded, I went to Key West. I was a nanny. So I'm photo editor at Elle magazine, dealing with the greatest photographers, biggest models, you know, athletes, Olympians, actors, politicians in the world. And now I'm on a houseboat in Key West as a nanny making 50 bucks a week with no water and electricity. So talk about a grounding experience. We didn't have a bathroom. We had a bucket and uh, our only running water was a hose on the sidewalk. So I choose to have an experience that really brought me on a crash course to landing back on planet earth when, where it didn't matter what you wore. It didn't matter what your makeup looked like. Didn't matter what you ate. It didn't matter on whether you were skinny or not. And everybody had an eating disorder at the magazine. So it really brought me down to what's what, what, what matters in life. And then I did that for four months and then I went to Los Angeles. I'd love to go back into attaching like your whole identity, just to your work. Is that a continuous process of like detaching your identity to your work or was it an overnight thing for you? Or are you still working on it? What has that process looked like? I think that the type of personality I am in and I have come to realize is that I've always felt that I have a purpose, which is to have an experience or to have a lot of experiences and then to share them. I remember when I was at my worst moment and I'm in my mid thirties and I'm a single mom and I'm an immigrant, I'm $135,000 in debt, nothing I do goes right. And I sit there and I'm thinking to myself, at, at, there, there will have to be a point in my life where all of what I've experienced will have to benefit someone else because it just doesn't make sense any, any other way. I actually believe that people that have these crazy experiences or these crazy moments, that they are on a crash course by spirit, God, the universe to learn where this world really is so that they can activate themselves or be activated. So they can step up to what they need to be stepping up because there's no reason why certain people have all of that happening to them and other people, you know, just roll through their life. Like it's nothing in a Rolls Royce. And so I feel that if you, if you have adversity and especially if it's tough adversity, you know, and a lot, and your generation is no different than my generation, there's abuse, there's terrible parents, there is terrible parenting. There is a whole shift in the whole labor market there is a discrepancy between what the structure of an organization is like and what you want for yourself for passion and fulfillment and sense of belonging. There is a, a sense of, you know, wanting to contribute something greater to something. And there, and, and it's like almost like these two worlds are collating right now. You know, the baby boomers that run the show that make all the decisions. And then Gen Z is coming and Gen Z says, we don't want to have anything to do with your bullshit. And, uh, and baby boomers go, you must follow the systems and processes. And Gen Z says, we don't have to. We don't want to. Actually, as a matter of fact, we're not going to. And then the baby boomers are saying, but it's always been like that. And Gen Z says, we don't care. So I think that in the richness of what we're experiencing right now, there is yet another really big shift to say, based on your personality, what are you being called for to show up as? So you can either now go and do the complaining thing, which by the way, a lot of Gen Z is excellent at complaining, you know, poor me, look at what's happened, you know, now the pandemic, what am I going to do? There are just no good jobs out there. People are so mean to me. I'm misunderstood. I have so many qualifications. Nobody sees me. Well, I mean, that is an excuse if I've ever seen one. This is about you being activated and stepping up and saying, how do I want to show up in the world? And you going, your generation is doing this much sooner than my generation did. Because for our, for my generation, this wasn't ever even a question. For my generation, it was like, that's just the way it is. Take it or leave it. Yours is the first generation that says, we don't have to take it or leave it at all. We can create our own. So if there is the shit show of the 20s, well, of course, it's a shit show because you're sitting in the middle of a paradox as the paradigm of how we work and live and how we balance our lives is shifting. So for me, would it have been different if it wouldn't have had this explosion? Would I be thinking different about my commitment to my work? I do identify a lot with what I do because that is an extension of who I am as a person, who I choose to be as a person. I am an educator. I am a trainer. I am a consultant. I'm a strategist. I'm a coach. I'm I'm here to 
say that I have a lot of experience and I have good intuition and I understand a lot about how things work together and I can give shortcuts. And so for anybody who wants to listen, you know, sign up for any of the programs or the consulting or the coaching and, and, uh, and get the shortcuts or figure it out by yourself. But you always pay either in time or money, Sophia. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. It costs you the same. It's either time or money. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to go into being $135,000 in debt. <laughs> so being in that debt, I want to go into debt for a second. So being in that debt, how do you not look at that debt and get like discouraged or like, I have so much to dig myself out of, or like, maybe this is going to be, you know, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to figure out how to get out of this. How are you able to look at that and say, okay, this is just a temporary thing. Like I'm going to be okay. So there are several things. So number one, I had an idea at the time that I knew was a great idea. And I really truly believed that at the bottom of my heart. Number two, at the end of the day, if I was really honest with myself, I knew I was a good person and I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. So I just couldn't fathom that the joke was going to be on me at the end of the day. I mean, I, I just couldn't, it just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have that thought that at the end of the day, God, God was going to stand there and go, nah, 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 nah. Uh, so I, I was like, I, I'm in it. There's nothing I can do right now other than find my way through this. And then I took a lot of action. I wrote a business plan. I wrote a letter to the president of the United States. I, I took my meetings. I invested every cent that I made or didn't make back in it and then more. And I firmly believe that I was at the right time with the right idea and it had to move. And sometimes it would stand there and I'd look at my numbers and I go, move, you know, move already because I knew I was so close to it, but there was a good chance I wasn't going to make it. So I had to train myself mentally to worry about money only twice a month when I had to pay bills because there's nothing I could do for the rest of the month other than try to drum a business and when I had to pay bills, I, you know, sat down and I figured out how I was going to pay it, where I was going to borrow more money from. So I borrowed money to pay interest on borrowed money, which is a really horrible financial strategy. And I did not know how it was going to work, but I was prepared. I surrendered. I say, if I drown, at least I don't drown in a puddle. At least I'll drown in the ocean. At least it's worth it. It's not worth declaring bankruptcy for five grand, but at $135,000, at least it's worth it. So you, I had to change my attitude and then it shifted. And how do you train yourself that you only get two times a month <laughs> to worry about it? Discipline. This is really the part of the mindset piece. That's the first time when I really recognize the power of mindset. There's a Chinese proverb that says, stop worrying about things you can't change. So I had a choice. I either was going to spend all my time worrying about that. And the way the psychology of the brain goes, you know, back to the old programming. Have you ever figured, Sophia, when you have a bad day, Mm -hmm. that your brain volunteers another hundred unsolicited thoughts (laughs) telling you what a loser you are, right? Mm -hmm, And how, and your hair sucks and your skin's awful and you have no clothes and you gain two pounds and, and nobody loves you. And and that person made a stupid comment and you got a bad email, somebody unfollowed you. I mean, you know, suddenly out of nowhere, you know, all these things come and you go like, I don't even know where all of that is coming from. Well, that's because our subconscious is designed to keep you where you are, no matter how miserable that is. And it will go through great length to prove to you that changing where you are is bad and not safe. That's the old reptile brain. That's our old original cave woman or caveman thinking where we had to quickly assess, is there you know, a mammal with big teeth? Do we have to fight, flight or freeze? And now that we don't have these kinds of, I mean, we, we really don't have to fight, flight or freeze like ever. So we are in a different environment, but it's so embedded in our DNA that people still continue to behave that way. So you have to train yourself. So if I was going to say, what's the one thing that I learned that I want to tell everybody to do immediately, mindset, hands down. If you don't go and listen to podcasts and listen to positive stories and mindset every single day, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you 
one bad thought, one negative thought brings another hundred negative thoughts. And then it starts going down that spiral of self-doubt, fear, discontent, discouragement, until you're at a point where you go, man, this all sucks. But if you reverse that, if you think one good thought and you have the gratitude and you and you consciously overwrite that old programming with more positive thoughts. Wow, you know, it was a great phone call I had with Sophia today. Really enjoyed that. Wow, look, my hair is awesome today. My skin is just absolutely beautiful and glowing. And uh, man, I have really good friends. Oh, it's a beautiful day here in LA today. I live in a nice place. And you constantly reiterate all the positive things. Then you will see more positivity and then more positive things will happen to you. So in the mindset piece that I trained myself at, I just didn't allow myself more than that. And I had to be really diligent about it because it would affect my ability to be a good mother. It would be, it would affect my ability to work. I had employees. I needed to make sure that they didn't feel what I feel because they needed to stay motivated. I didn't need three people that were negative. So it really is the discipline where you make a decision and you say, no more of this. And I'm deciding this today. And then you execute on that. Mm-hmm. And what was that business that you created during that time? It was a stock photography business for architectural and interior photographs. So very much like the image you see behind me. So these are the kinds of images that we sold all over the world. And because I was a photo editor at Elle magazine, just so, so, so you see how these things sometimes happen, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was an editor at, at Elle magazine, I knew how to sell photos and who bought them because I was in the business of buying stories. And I also had learned that it's easier to go after the A-list versus the C-list. Why go after C-level if you can go after A-level? So once I had A-level people under my belt, then I could, I could move forward and say, well, I have the best photographers in the world. Now, as a side effect of that, we had these photographers work with the best architects and the best interior designers, right? Because they're the number one people in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you know? They design celebrity homes. So next thing I know, I'm getting Francis Ford Coppola, Simon Baker, Terry Hedger, Julian Moore, and all these A-listers as home stories on my desk. And that was the ticket. That's how I knew I could make money really, really quickly because I knew these stories would fly off the shelf like nothing. And that's how I became the world leader in celebrity at home stories in a very short amount of time. And that Mm. changed everything. Mm. And was that the business that you sold to Bill Gates? Yes. Yes, it was. And so I had been able to get a loan because my letter that I wrote to the president of the United States, I actually got a letter from the White House. And in the White House, it says the president is delighted to hear from you. Of course, the president never read my letter, but uh, it came from the White House and it put me in touch with a small business administration here in Los Angeles. And because it came from the White House, I was put in touch with the second in command. And then he helped me to restructure my business plan and find a bank that was taking my $135,000 and we converted it into a fixed 10-year loan that I was going to pay back over 10 years that freed up my line of credit for, and within three months I was profitable. That's how close we were. And 18 months later, I'm the world leader in my category. And that's when a Bill Gates company comes and says, can you tell us how you do it? And like any decent woman, I said, you want to know what I know you need to pay for it. And then they made me a multimillion dollar offer. And what I love about you is you always have like this expansive way of thinking, like I'm going to go after the A-list I'm going to talk to the president, like <laughs> you, you're very expansive. Have you always been that expansive or? Well, in the be- you know, in the beginning, I think I just considered myself, Sophia, as resourceful. So, so the way my brain works, so I have a very strategic, you know, process oriented brain. So I always look about how, how am I going to get there? What can I do? Not why is this happening to me? Or I can't believe I'm here or whose fault is it? I learned to take responsibility in my 20s. And I learned that from a roommate. And I remember, you know, coming from Elle magazine with my eating disorder. And I was uh, living here in LA with my roommate, Dagmar, who was the skinniest little thing. I mean, skinnier than you can. And she ate like a horse, which is infuriating by itself. And so she would go in the middle of the night, like we'd walk at 11 o'clock at night over to Cantor's, the 
the famous canters on Fairfax. And she'd get herself a half a sheet of the chocolate chip cheesecake. And then she'd go and she'd eat the whole thing. And I sat there and I looked at her and she's like, do you want a piece? And I'm like, no, I don't. And then one day she got so mad. She says, I, she says, you're basically drooling. She says, when are you going to take fucking responsibility for the shit that you're creating in your life. I know you want a piece. I can see it. Just go get the darn plate and and I'll give you a piece, but stop sitting there and looking at it longingly. When are you going to take responsibility for your life? And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. She says, you always blame everyone. You blame your mom. You blame this. You blame that. She says, it's your own damn fault. And I'm like, well, I will never speak to you again. And so I was very upset with her. And then I realized she's right. Yeah, sure. I'm the result of the circumstances of my life. But am what am I going to sit here and blame my mom for the rest of my life? Success is the best revenge. And that's when I really activated and said, how am I going to get out of it? How am I going to change this? How am I going to be different? How am I going to get there the fastest? And that's when, you know, and that's when I learned that bold steps are just as easy or difficult to take as small, insignificant steps. So why wouldn't I take a bold step? Why not? Why not go after the A-listers? Why? Why having to go after C C-level people if I can't go after A-level? Because if I have one A-level person, all the C C-level come automatically. What's the best spend of my time? And so that's really, I think, the big lesson I learned in my twenties is to stop blaming circumstances, others, what people did wrong, and say, "This is my life now, and what do I want?" the story to be? How do I want to write this story? And I can tell you now that I'm way older than in my 20s. I, I look at my, my life and it's a great story. It's a rich story. I met unbelievable people. I had great success. I had terrible disasters. I had catastrophes. I had things that don't really happen to other people and yet they happen to me. But at the end of the day, I've never been happier because I don't judge what's happening to me, but I know I'm always fully in control because I can control how I think about it and find the opportunity in everything. So what is the opportunity? Where's your opportunity? Where are your listeners opportunities right now that you're not seeing because you're so caught up in your story? Did you like send emails to the A-list celebrities or did you have connections there or how do you reach out to them? Good old fashioned telephone. I made phone calls. I introduced myself. I flew to New York. I visited them, visited them in person. And, you know, and then of, of course I sent emails and I, I would, I would go, I be in their office. I'll tell them my plans. I made them a good enough offer and I walked out with their uh, slides. I, I digitized and optimized them. I put them in my database. I returned them and then I'm, I, I sold them. I mean, it's the decision to do it. That's hard. Once you make the decision, that's the Amelia Earhart quote. The hard part is to come to the decision. After that, it's merely execution. Mm-hmm. So watching your daughter go through her 20s right now, what's something that you were surprised about or weren't expecting from watching her? I just wished she would be so business oriented that I am. And she just isn't. And, or at least she says she isn't. And like any parent, you know, because I've built something and I want her to take an advantage of what I've built so she can create her life. And she's just not interested in business in the consulting way that I am. So what I'm very surprised at is how easy it is to forget that it's your right to make your own mistakes and it's your right to find your own way. How easy it is for me to say, you have to listen to me uh, because I have all these experiences here, you know, do this or that or this way. And that's not fair because you have the right to your own success and you have the right to your own mistakes. And so shifting into a consulting role versus the parent has been really surprising to me because now I can say, so what happens when you, when you do that or how's that feel or where are you in the process so that I'll allow her to be in charge. So she's not living my life, but she's figuring out which her life is. Surprising to me, some of the decisions she's made, which I warned her about, and then she made them anyway. And she got hurt pretty bad a couple of times. And as envy mother, I wanted to avoid that, but it's unavoidable. 
And at the same time, just the beauty and the, for me as a, as a mother to keep reminding myself the best thing I can do for your generation is to trust that you are on the right path and to encourage you to find your own path instead of pushing mine on you. Because if we are really honest about this, look at the shit show we're leaving, how the, the status the planet is in, the status the organizations are run under, the way the money distribution goes, the way, especially here in America, how people look at vacation time, off time, balancing work and life, how overweight and unhealthy people are. I mean, we created all of that and, and, we, and we're leaving this for you. I mean, I'm going to be okay, but are your kids are going to be okay? Are you going to be living in a planet that's 120 degrees every single day? So, so we have to, I think now really shift into this idea of supporting you to figure out new solutions that are not biased on our inability to come up with them. I think that's really the challenge that a lot of people in my generation have that they go, oh, we give up. This generation is so X. This generation is doing this. You know, I don't understand. They're so unreliable. They're so flaky. They're so self-observed, so narcissistic, you know, whatever you're being called. And when I look at it now, I go, there is the solution. You are the solution to all the problems of this world because we clearly failed. So my role now is to provide a framework and the experience to help you to find the solution based upon what I know works in this business building, entrepreneurship, self-expression, you know, unapologetic value proposition, how you show up, how you talk about yourself, how you figure out what you're really good at. I can help with that so that you can get to these ideas quicker to, to create a planet you want to live in. And that's probably the thing that pains me the most about my generation. I'm right there at the cusp of baby boomer Gen X. So I'm in this, in this forgotten moment. You know, I'm, I'm not quite like the baby boomers that sailed through this with their pensions and everything. And I'm not quite, you know, in the middle of the Gen X that just can never get any uh, ground under their feet. But I look at the opportunities, like where's the opportunity for you? What are you guys doing? And how can I help and support that? And that I think is very exciting to me. And how do you navigate that line with your daughter, not wanting to control the outcome or force an outcome, but also being able to give support and consult at the same time? I think it's a a real mindset shift in the, you know, in the idea that, you know, she was in a relationship that was really terrible, dangerous, actually. And then she figured out a way how to get out of it. And the next person she met was the right one for her. And so while she was in this terrible relationship, obviously there was, there were a lot of sleepless nights and, and uh, a lot of danger actually, and, and, and angst on my part and on her part. And, but she got herself out of it and she got herself out of it in a year. So what, who am I to not trust that if she's done something like this once before, she cannot do it again, that she has resilience to find her own way. And maybe she needs that to activate that resilience in her. That's, I think once, once I've learned that, it was a lot easier for me to say she's per- perfectly capable of figuring this out on her own. And then taking on that role is much easier if she, if she says, I want my mom, can you tell me what to do? Then I can differentiate on whether or not she wants me to tell her what to do so she can blame me if it's the wrong decision, which is, uh, by the way, uh, very typical of young generations to say, you know, I asked you for advice and then you told me this and it didn't work and see, it's all your fault. I should have never listened to you. And then we go like, well, why'd you ask me in the first place? But uh, that's really the, the fine line. I think we need to, we need to walk as people give advice in your generation for not using this nice little manipulation uh, a technique of saying, well, I asked you for advice and then it didn't work. So therefore it's not my fault. It's your fault because you give really bad advice. Well, Nobody forced you to make that decision. You asked as we told you, and then, you know, it's on you what what happens afterward. So I think that's really the education between when you grow up in the shit show of your 20s. That's the growing up part to say, I take full responsibility for my decision because I choose who I ask. I choose who I listen to. I choose my action. Now, if my actions don't work out, well, that was my choice. Nobody asked me to, 
go sleep with a guy. Nobody asked me to go dancing all night. Nobody asked me to try these drugs. Nobody asked me to, you know, spend my money on a Gucci bag. And now I don't have any money for the rest of, for, for, for the next two months. Nobody forced you to do that. You made the decision yourself. And I think that's the hardest part about the twenties is to come to that realization to say, I own that. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go into your book, happy woman, happy world. <laughs> Um, what was the inspiration behind that title? And what does that mean to you? So the reason was that after I sold my company to Bill Gates, I was asked to be the senior director, global senior director for entertainment. And I accepted. And then I go into this Bill Gates corporation and I'm just stunned. So the code that's at work in a corporation, how different men treat each other, how women are treated how women treat each other, the backstabbing, you know, all the things that people do to each other. It's just, I mean, I, I, I just stood there and I was like, is this for real? Is this, ac- this is actually how an organization runs in America? Is, 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 is this is the way this works? And I recognized that there is no definition of what a woman leader is, but that we know what a woman leader is not. So now she cannot be a feminist because if she's a feminist, she's a man hate. She's a man hater and she's probably got cats. I've been called a feminist. I'm called feminist 24 seven. I'm proudly a feminist because if I wasn't a feminist, you and I wouldn't be speaking because then, you know, the advances that we fought for, you couldn't take advantage of. So, so I don't even understand where that's coming from, but that's a different, that's a totally different story. So, so I looked at what was happening and I'm like, we can't say, well, a woman leader is not a woman that's too sexy. She just needs to look good enough, but she can't be too sexy. A woman leader cannot dress provocative. If she has big boobs, she's going to be looking provocative no matter what she does. Because, you know, even in a potato sack, those boobs are there. There's nothing you can do about those boobs. They're right there. So she can't be too tough because that's not feminine. She has to be decisive, but not too decisive. So, so we constantly tell women all the things that we are not going, we're not supposed to be, but nobody can tell us what's a woman leader look like? What does a woman leader look like? It's not Kamala Harris because she's too tough. She's not Meg Whitman because, you know, that's just totally wrong. She's not this person. She's not Sheryl Sandberg because Sheryl Sandberg is so privileged. So we, we always know what she's not, but we never know what she is. And I said, I'm going to change that. And so I wrote my book, Happy Woman, Happy World, because I wanted to give, especially young women, a guide to say, don't go there. Don't go to a 50-year-old woman like me who has wrinkles, cellulite, and uh, is not the hot thing anymore and say, it's your fault that the world is where it's at because you failed. What's happening is that the system itself is designed for women to fail, period. And so when you're young and you're cute and you're sexy and you got the long legs and you got the good body and you got no wrinkles, you think that I didn't use that when I was in my 20s and in my 30s and my 40s? Of course I did. And I did get my meetings and I did get, you know, further with charm and all of that. But that ends eventually. And then you realize that the story that you've heard, that women have to be at each other's throat because we believe there's only 2% of CEO positions, that we have to take each other out in our workplace because there's only such few positions available for women. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Women are 51% of the American population. So naturally 51% of of, of, of leadership positions should be for women. I mean, that's just logical, right? But it's not. It's 2% women in CEO, 13% of women in C-level positions, 20% in VP level. So wait, so women are getting dumber as we progress in our careers, whereas men get so much smarter. I mean, this doesn't even make any sense, right? So I said, I want to change that. I'm going to change that at the foundational root. How do women need to talk to each other? How do women need to collaborate with each other? Happy women collaborating, working with each other, recognizing that women over 50 are not the enemy, but that we already went through this. Listen to us because we went through this and we blamed the Gloria Steinems and the feminists that came before us because we thought they were man-hating, but they're not. 
That's the narrative you're falling prey to. And by the time you wake up, you're 40, you have two kids, you are, you're going back to work and you realize something happened while you weren't there that you have no influence over and you can never regain that gap. And now you realize that we told the truth all along, that it wasn't us. It's the system that's rigged against it. And so that's why I wrote the book, because I want to change that. And now I'm in that second level where I want to go and say, now that I've spoken about how we need as women to treat other women, now how do we bring that to the workplace and connect these two disconnected sides of men and women back together so we have a unified workforce? And what is something that you're learning right now? I am learning, what am I not learning? I'm learning that it never changes, Sophia. You are always going to be on that next, next quest to make something better, to figure out why you do things, on the quest to be the best person you can be. It never stops. It's not the shit show of the 20s. It's the shit show of the 20s, the shit show of the 30s, the shit show of the 40s, the shit show of the 50s. It just continues. It continues until the point where you are okay with who you are, and you don't give a shit what other people think about you anymore. That's when it changes. And what is something that you're really excited about right now? I am so excited about this new uh, book I'm working on right now. Uh, this new business code I just spoke about. And I am, I'm always excited. You know, I, I got engaged and uh, we are going to be moving in very shortly see it happens at any age. Uh, it never goes away, as I said, and my daughter and I, we are both engaged at the same time. Who would have thought that, which is very exciting. And I really believe that this is a moment of unbelievable possibility in the world where a lot of change can happen. And I want to encourage anyone who has, who has ideas and the will and the desire and the audacity to not give up, which is the definition of courage for me to keep pushing and make a mark. The time is now. We have never seen a better environment than making change right now. Mm -hmm. Are you guys like planning your weddings together and going dress shopping together? Or? My daughter will not permit any other woman <laughs> other than herself being in the center of attention. <laughs> so no, no, no. She, 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 we, we, we're planning her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you meet your fiance online just like mm -hmm. like like most people you know we had uh we we met on a dating profile seven years ago and uh we went on a first date and we've been together ever since mm -hmm. it is possible at any age you just have to marion williamson says all relationships fail until the one that doesn't and so in the 20s, I think it's so difficult because you, you kind of yearn for love and that other peace. And then when you are in relationships and they fail, you take it so personal. And then as you get older, you just go, oh, thank God I didn't spend too much time on that. That was a disaster. Or, wow, you know, that guy really took me down the wrong, the wrong road. So you get much more much more clear. And so if anyone's listening to this, look up Greg Michelson and Greg with a double G. He writes all these like really sh super short books on dating. And he tells you as it is. And he tells you all the mistakes you're making, especially when you're a woman. So when I read his book, I'm going, I'm doing everything wrong. And then everything he said works, but only with the right guy. So just learn about dating, learn about, learn about things. I mean, the, the information's already out there, learn it. And then you don't have to make every mistake yourself. And what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your fiance? To be vulnerable and that I don't have to do everything by myself. And that's coming from somebody who's German, somebody who is an immigrant, somebody who was a single mother, somebody who was a, a sole business owner in a country, not her own, in an environment she didn't understand running a business that she had no business to do. I mean, I'm a trained photographer. Like I have no business degree. And for me, the, the, the making all the decisions myself and go-getting is second, second nature. And since I've been with Gary, what I've learned is that it's kind of nice when you have somebody who has you always in your peripherals and that sometimes you can't just step back and let someone else make a decision. 
and you know they watch out for you that's I, I never knew what that felt like before I met him and I have one final question for you if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self what would you tell her or if you don't want to tell her anything that's okay too but you can just let me know what you would want to tell her or what you would want to do in that moment I would say fail faster and don't take it personal and really look at your failure as a road marker. That's just a stop sign that says, don't go here. Instead of, you know, throwing myself on the ground, throwing a temper tantrum and crying bitterly over why there's a stop sign. Just having that curiosity that you would have if you drive with your car in an outdated, outdated GPS and you end up in a dead end, but you see the building right over there. You don't get out of your car, throw yourself on the road and cry. You just get back in the car, turn around and find another way. And so that is really what I would tell myself is be conscious about that's just the way life is. Life is, mm-hmm. you, have, you have influence over two things in life, where you are right now, that's your starting point, and where you're going to go, where you want to go. How you get there is not up to you. And the path there is never how you think you're going to get there. But if you hold that vision, you're going to get there. It's just going to be in a wild, crazy, zigzag kind of, way. And that's what I would tell my 20 year old self is trust, trust, and have courage. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. So, so what are you taking away from this? I really loved all of it, but I think something that I really loved about it too was I love the mindset piece. I loved the failing forward and failing more often. I think that was one of the biggest ones too. And those are Major, absolutely major. You, you master this in your 20s, you're going to have a completely different life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I promise you that. I, I'll give that to you in writing. The sooner you master that, the faster and the better your life will be. Because these are the two critical pieces in life, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And where can we connect with you online? Yes. So you can uh, connect with me online uh, at my website, beatachalette.com and check out Uh, what we are doing. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to figure out how to run your own business, you start with um, finding really good clients. You can go to airtightavatar.com and check out a free masterclass that I've done on that. And I actually really like hearing from people. So just go shoot me an email. We'll put it in the show notes and the email goes directly to me. Tell me what you're learning, what you're taking away. And if you want to have a conversation, I'll be happy to, uh, to connect with whoever wants to connect with me and help you to figure out where you want to go. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.